muted. I might be muted. Sorry, Toby. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> um, for those who didn't hear, my name is Kay, one of the ministers here. I'm privileged to bring God's word to you this morning. Not an easy text, um, but God's, I believe, is going to speak to us um, as he always does through his amazing word. Uh, for those who have been with us, those who haven't, um, we are... Um, I've been going through Matthew's Gospel um, through, for our Advent series, looking at um, hope shining through. And uh, I, uh, by the end of our service uh, today, we will hopefully find, even in the most difficult passages, that God's hope does shine through. And last week, we looked at the story of the Magi bringing their gifts to Jesus. Every nativity play has um, the kings alongside the shepherds, doesn't it, around the manger, and we're, so we're, we're quite used to that part of the story um, being part of the narrative of Christmas. Well, um, last week, Chris dispelled some of the myths of um, the visit of the Magi, because uh, that's not necessarily true, what we see <laughs> in the nativity scene. Um, but he also gave us an, a, a really helpful uh, challenge, as we saw again the response of the Magi to the King of the Jews, the way they bowed down and worshipped him. Well, the phrase King of the Jews, which we came across last week, caused the Magi to seek Jesus out and to bow um, before him. But for Herod, who we also got mention of last week, um, who was the king at the time, uh, the thought of a challenger to his throne um, brought uh, fear and anger, certainly not worship. The contrast of uh, the reaction to Jesus between Herod and the Magi is one we've seen repeated throughout history because Jesus always invokes a reaction, whether positive or negative. But we finished last week with the Magi being warned not to tell Herod where Jesus was. And so uh, they returned, Matthew tells us, to their country by a different route. Well, our reading today isn't one that tends to get included in nativity scenes or nativity plays. It's not really focused on during uh, the Christmas season But as we read and reflect on what is actually a very disturbing account, there is, I believe, a message of hope that shines through, even in the most darkest of places. So uh, if you have a Bible, do turn with me to Matthew's Gospel. We're going to uh, look at Matthew chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 13. When they had gone, that's the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, and he said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. 
Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Well, Matthew has one aim in mind as he crafts his gospel and pulls it together, and that is to demonstrate to his Jewish listeners and readers that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Well, Messiah was a, a familiar term for the Jews of that day. They lived in hope of the Messiah, their deliverer who would come and rescue them, who would restore God's people to national independence and that they would be named as the people of God again. What Matthew longs for as he writes his gospel is that the Jews would discover that the Messiah has indeed come, but not as they'd hoped for, not as they'd expected. But at the same time, Matthew also wants to make clear that salvation through Jesus is now available to everyone, not just to the Jews. So in Matthew's account, uh, the Messiah has certainly not been your typical king. If you've been here and been reading through Matthew with us, he was born into a humble family. He was born uh, to his parents when they were far away from home, where they had nowhere to stay, and they, he ended up being laid in a manger for animals, not in a, in a lovely soft sheets of a maternity unit. And his first visitors were, were shepherds, lowly shepherds, not some grand dignitaries or other royalty. But in our reading this morning, in the first bit in verses 13 to 15, we discover that the Messiah is forced to leave Bethlehem. The family have been told to run for their lives. They've become refugees, fleeing from persecution, even from threat of death. Now they're homeless and poor. We find out in the next bit in verses 16 to 18 how dangerous things have become for Jesus. Herod wants to hunt him down. Herod wants to see him dead. The Messiah's hated and must live in hiding. And then verses 19 to 23, we discover that the Messiah has to find somewhere safe to live. Because despite Herod being dead, uh, there are others that want to see him killed. And so as a result, Messiah Jesus ends up spending most of his formative years in Nazareth, in Galilee. So not only was this king a fugitive, he's also hunted and hated. And he grows up in a small, insignificant town. And as Matthew tells each of these accounts, the running away, the escaping, the scheme to rid the world of Jesus, the settling in Nazareth, he describes each of them in the light of Old Testament prophecy. Matthew emphasizes again and again through our reading that in Jesus, all God's purposes have come to fulfillment. The Old Testament points towards him, towards Jesus, and history revolves around him. In fact, 10 times in his gospel, Matthew uses the phrase, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets or something similar to that because he's seeking to show his readers that Jesus not only fulfilled specific predictions, specific prophecies, but he, was, but he fulfilled the whole broad pattern of God's revelation to his people right throughout the Old Testament, all brought together in Jesus. Throughout Israel's history, God has spoken to them God has shown them and used their story to point towards the day when he would send his only son into the world. Everything points towards it. When God would fulfill his promises and the pointers that he has given. Well, for this morning, for a few minutes, we're going to consider how God is at work despite the actions of Herod and the violent night that we've read about that Matthew's recorded for us. 
Herod the king uh, rule was established by bloodshed. He was known to execute people, so killing children, killing babies wouldn't have been that much of a surprise, sadly, to those um, that lived under his rule and reign because he had ten wives in his time, um, but even killed uh, some of them. He was a jealous, power-crazy, murdering king, a horrible man who reigned at a very volatile time in history. So when he was confronted with Jesus the king, it seems even though he understood the prophecies regarding the Messiah, he resented that his position was being challenged by this new king. So in order to protect his pride and his position, he wanted to see this new king destroyed. He wanted him killed. And he, as we read, was willing to do anything to achieve that. Bethlehem probably lost between 20 and 30 children under the age of two that night just because of one man's uncontrollable anger and abuse of power. It's a very dark picture, isn't it, that this reading paints. Matthew doesn't ignore the pain and the suffering. He doesn't sugarcoat over the fact that the world is a bleak and a cruel place. He doesn't hide the effects of sin and of evil. But bringing it up to date, the news every day reminds us of this same truth, doesn't it? We've been reminded through our prayers of some of the things that we face as a country and a world. The world can feel bleak and cruel at times, can't it? We've all been shocked, haven't we, recently by the tragic um, death of the, the little girl star, Hobson. We are saddened every time we hear of refugees who have died escaping from their country with nowhere to live, homeless like Jesus, driven from their homes. We hear stories of rape and abuse, of lying and cheating. And of course, as we look back, as we've just done over the past two years, that's been a challenge, hasn't it, for all of us? Not a difficult time. I was thinking back to early in the pandemic, there were two words that we had to get used to, that we hadn't realised before, uncertainty and death. Suddenly, nothing was certain anymore, was it? Even the most mundane things in life, like going to the supermarket, suddenly became a risk. And daily, we were reminded of the death toll due to COVID. And this past year has continued to actually be quite an uncertain one, even though uh, lots has opened up and we've had um, life sort of back to normal. Now, here we are, facing another variant. News of its rapid spread on our news screens every day. I don't know about you, but I feel exhausted and weary of it. We long for relief, don't we? We long for things to be different. We don't have to look very far, do we, to realise that this world is broken in all sorts of ways. (laughs) But by your faces, I can see you looking at me and thinking, hang on a minute, Kay, it's Christmas. (laughs) Cheer up. (laughs) We don't really want to be reminded of this doom and gloom around us right now. But I think that's where Matthew wants to speak to us today. Jesus, Matthew says, steps into the darkness of this world. Even as a small small child, as we've read in our reading, he faces the full force of evil thrown at him by Herod. But he's the saviour of the world. He's a light of hope. And that hope shines through. That hope, that light cannot be extinguished, whatever difficulties we face. So I wonder if this message might actually be for you this morning. 
if you're weary from this year, if you're fearful of what the future might bring, if you're concerned about the evil in this world, if you're wondering where is God at the moment. Well, nothing can stop God fulfilling all of he has promised through Jesus, his son. And through the most difficult of times, I hope by the end of this we will discover, we always see that God is at work. So I want to look uh, quickly at God is at work, both protecting and working out his plan of salvation. And we see this in our reading. Because ever since sin entered the world, God set in motion a plan to rid the world of sin and to restore the broken relationship that happened as a result of that sin between God and his creation. He had a plan to call to himself a chosen people, chosen uh, to be restored in relationship with him and chosen to show the world his love, to be a light to the world that didn't know him and needed to know him. So throughout the Old Testament, we read of that story, the story of these chosen people, of the covenant that God made with these people. He said he would be their God and they would be his people. But we also read not only of God's faithfulness, but of their constant failure to be faithful as people to their God. And we read of their failure also to share his love with those around them. So if I take you back to verse 17 and 18, we read of a reference to Jeremiah. Matthew takes us back to the Babylonian exile here, when God's chosen people were far away from God. They were far from the promised land, and they had seen many people, uh, many children destroyed in, when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem. It was a very similar setting. The plan that God had for a chosen people for himself seemed under threat. God seems to be on the back foot as far as um, they are concerned, and all seems lost in that situation, very like the situation we've read about and maybe how we might feel this morning. But Jeremiah's lament that he offers here also is embedded in a time when he's looking to when God will bring about the salvation he's promised. This little um, lament that we read is right in the middle of all God's promises of restoring his people um, so I want to just read to you some of the verses around that verse that are so full of hope, of God promising, even in the most difficult of places, what he can do. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. What an amazing promise of hope there at difficult times. Here we're reading of God's plan of salvation, promised in a time of tragedy, but even the worst tragedy that we can face doesn't throw God's plan of salvation off its course. Jesus, God says, is the one who is going to bring the new covenant. He's the only one, the only one who can defeat sin and its effects. There was no one else who could ever change the course of history. No one else who could deal with the sin and the failure and the distance that we have from God. And even though right from Jesus' birth, the devil threw the worst at him, seeking to destroy him, 
God again and again makes it clear that nothing, nothing will prevent him from bringing about what he has promised to us. Why was God so determined to protect his son and therefore his plan of salvation? Well, the Bible tells us, doesn't it, that it's because he loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. God's love for us is what motivated to come as a human baby, fully God, fully human. And we celebrate in less than a week now so that he could take the sin that traps us, separates us from God and set us right with God again. God was willing to give his only son. As reflected earlier, the world is in a mess. But if we're honest and willing to look inside, we find that the darkness that we identify out in the world, out in other people, is also within us, isn't it? Perhaps it's the darkness of bitterness that we struggle with because of something that someone has done to us. Or resentment because we've not got what we felt we deserved. Perhaps it's a tendency to lie or exaggerate to cover up the truth. Perhaps it's that anger that erupts when we thought we had it under control. (laughs) Or perhaps it's that addiction that we just can't seem to kick. Or that lust or that greed that we wish we could control. That darkness within. Herod. Darkness. Violent night. Darkness. Our sin. Darkness. That you know nothing is beyond the reach of God's love. And nothing can stop God's, God from working out his plan of salvation. Isn't that amazing? You know, God protected Jesus' life until the time when God planned that Jesus' life would be taken, would take on the full force of sin. That day when Jesus died on the cross. And in that moment, Jesus took your sin. He took my sin and he nailed it to the cross, taking away its power and paying its penalty. What amazing news. I don't know what darkness you carry at the moment, what difficulty, what struggle, what heartache, what pain you're dealing with. You know, Matthew shows us in these difficult verses that we can hold on to the truth that God is sovereign that he will work his purposes out. We can also hold on to the truth that the true light of Jesus will always, always, always defeat the darkness, whether it be sin, whether it be suffering, whether it be uncertainty, whether it be death. Romans 8, Paul puts it like this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Then Paul goes on to write these amazing words. And I think Matthew would echo these two. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation, whatever might be thrown at us, will able, be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I wonder, does life feel a bit overwhelming for you at the moment? Are you weary of the pandemic, the relentless uncertainty, something else that's going on in your life? 
Is there a personal battle maybe against sin that you just can't seem to conquer? Today, Jesus says, I am the light in your darkness. Jesus says, I've defeated sin. I've defeated death. Because light is always, always, always stronger than darkness. So he says, look to me and find that my grace is sufficient. You know, there is hope this morning because nothing could stop, nothing could hinder, nothing could derail God's plan to save the world through the death and resurrection of his son. What amazing hope. What an amazing saviour. What an amazing invitation that we have to come to that saviour, to come and worship. So here's an invitation now to come because Christ is born and God's plan of salvation is for each and every one of us.